When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hamilton Lighthouser uses to describe singing at full voice. He calls it letting the dogs out. And if you've heard Hamilton sing, I think you'll agree it's an apt way of putting it. I've loved his voice ever since I first heard him as the frontman of the Walkmen, starting in the early aughts, and throughout his captivating solo catalog, including that album from 2016 that he did with Rostam. And when Hamilton visited me at my place in Brooklyn, actually more than a year ago to record this conversation, he revealed that he was already well into his next solo LP at that point, and at this point, at the start of 2020, he's getting ready to release it. It's an as-yet-untitled collection, or at least that's not a title I can share, um, that we expect in the first part of this year. And it was fascinating to get to dig in with Hamilton about his creative process, about childhood influences, about recording in his new home studio where, yes, occasionally one of his daughters might leave a sticky lollipop in the shag carpet. But you know what? At least you get to let the dogs out in the comfort of your own home. Let's listen. It's the first time since I was like 16 that I haven't had a show on the books. I realized I got nothing on my calendar. It's a yeah. weird feeling. Yeah. Like most of my life I've had like something on the calendar coming up. No, I know. I was refreshing my memory about this in anticipation of your arrival that really like every two years, you've, you've put out an album almost every two years for yeah for like half your life yeah we were always yeah for some reason we were so consistent with the walkman it never felt that way when you're making them because sometimes it felt easier and sometimes it was harder but they always came out every two years but then since then too like the first solo the first solo album the album with paul then i'm the album the album with rostam like two year intervals pretty like i think almost. so i only got like six weeks (laughs) before 2019 yeah man you're not on sketch anymore. Yeah, what not, the fuck? I, I don't think it's gonna happen in six weeks. Right, but I mean, are you at the are you are you in the headspace of starting to think about uh, the next the next batch of tunes? Just because oh, you're I'm on a cycle where you where you're always either when you're finishing, you're already starting. Yeah, I, I mean, I I write songs just every day. I, I always I just do it 
I do it in my sleep. I do it when I wake up. I, mean, I can't stop. And that's not necessarily just a good, it's not just like I have this great work ethic. Sometimes you can't like turn it off and it kind of drives you insane. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've been working on this since while Rostam and I were working on our record. Which is a, another proper Hamilton Lighthouse or yeah, LP. It's gonna be, yep, it's going to be something that, it's going to be different because it's going to be the first time I've really done it all by myself. And I'm going to, I've, I've written a lot of things and recorded with people before, but I've, this time I'm actually literally doing it in a room by myself the whole way through. I'm, I'm hiring some people for instruments that I can't play, like the horns and the pedal steel and things like that. But it's fun to, I mean, you know, it's strange, but exciting to actually engineer it and mix it and do everything all by myself. Amazing. So when you were saying earlier that at, at home, you're actually at home, you have, you said, yeah, I, 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 uh, I put together a studio in my new house and, uh, I mean, I have a lot of stuff I've collected over the years from our old recording studio and just things that I've gotten around the country and stuff. Right. And so with the technology and stuff, you really sort of can do I, I learned a lot of that from Rustam, actually. I wouldn't have really known how to fully get it together as like a full sound without having worked with him. Right. In terms of in terms of seeing that it's easier than it might, you might imagine to turn a room in your to, to just turn a room into well, that, to or actually, what you need to make it sound the way you like. The, to actually get something that has um, life on it, that recorded and like exists without having a full band and uh, and going into a studio and doing it live with a bunch of people, it's actually possible. You just have mm. to get used. To, it's a weird way of working because you're by yourself and you're sort of, at first it almost feels like you're trying to fake it, like you're trying to make it sound like the band. But the way I always did it is we had the four track and you have your idea and you're playing an acoustic guitar or you're with the band and it's really loud and you and you make a really distorted version of the idea that you have, you know. And then what I always found is that like eight months later, we're in some studio paying like a lot of money. And you'd be going, redoing that song. You'd be playing it over and over again. And like within eight hours, you would have, you'd be like, can I plug my Walkman into the board? And you'd plug it in and you'd be A, being your cassette tape. Like, why can't I make the, it? The yeah. Thing? And, and you'd be every, you know, and we're in this room with millions of dollars of equipment doing everything we can to sound like this portrait. And that happened to us over and over over the years. And I realized that a lot of it is, is really because you were, really excited right when you were recording that demo and for some reason you're just not going to be able to recapture it. that's just that's what you love and so being able to have the recording stuff that you at at hand when you're just writing it right there is you can really capture elements that you keep and are are the record and that's where you actually build the record from the you're not trying to redo it you you got it there and that's what i feel like rostam and i did on our record and so things aren't perfect and things are first time through and you think well i could probably sing that more solidly but it's like you know what that's the that's the fun one go with the fun one yeah and as over the years i'm sure you're just more comfortable with your ability to execute the various parts of it yourself and so you don't need as much someone there telling right. you like yeah that's you're like no okay yeah this is what i love this is how i yeah, like it. i would have had to have done it as many times as i have in the other arena right to know that I'm getting what I want to get in this area. Yeah, just instinctively and be like, yeah, yep, yep. and just think, you know, okay, I've, I've heard, you know, I've gotten big drum sounds. I've, I've made a big song before. This is how I think. I feel as confident in this as I did when I was doing it that way. And other than the sort of gear tech type stuff, are there aesthetic or sort of 
elements of this room you've put together at home that are just things you need to have in a room where you're where you're making music like very little children's uh <laughs> gear although there was like a i bought a new rug and it was it was just classic there's like a blow pop just curled into my new wool rug yesterday when i got in there <laughs> just you're a like, wet soggy said, red uh... blow pop yeah it's awful <laughs> And one of those sticky hands that he's slapping against the wall had been slapped against the wall and left. And then I pulled it off and there's this huge, like sort of great colored handprint across the white wall. <laughs> so a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess that's also on the flip side. Like it must be a relief to if you have child care things to deal with and you're right there at home and you can also oh, be like wonderful. that's like that's got to be make life easier in the same way that i me having my studio here for like 20 years i had recording uh rehearsal spaces in new york city where it would be have been like a dream to have a window you couldn't even uh, consider asking for a window but <laughs> the, it, the, where no matter what the people told you who were renting the space and they all have the same sort of five lines that they say about nobody's in here during the day we built the sound walls very you know we did a great job double walled them or whatever there will be it, it is impossible to, to find a place where you can be loud where there's not a heavy metal drummer on the other side of the wall or somebody just louder than you next door and it's like i mean i talked to bands really successful bands that can afford a really nice place in uh, Manhattan up at that music space. And they have the same problem. There's a band next door to them that you, you can't escape it. There's no way to do it. So that was why I thought I'm just, I'm getting out of this game. I'm not doing another, I almost rented another spot in Dumbo. And I was like, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore. I just can't live my life in this constant, just din of like, echoey other people's stuff coming through the walls yeah. all day long. Fucking distracting. It's awful, yeah. But at least you know you can sing as loudly as you want there versus when you're like trying to... Right, yeah, yeah, there is a moment at home. If somebody's in the house or something, you, yeah, you're not going to be able to really let the dogs out a lot. <laughs> so, okay, so going back a little bit to what you were saying about a song, writing songs all the time or waking up with songs in your head, when did you, when do you first remember that phenomena occurring i mean has it always been that way or did you have to kind of press a button on like i want to be writing songs a lot before it, the faucet the faucet turned on right i i uh i took a lot of music theory in high school and and i went to the berkeley college of music for a summer program and learned a lot of music theory and i would like sit in chapel at high school and listen to all the, all the episcopal hymns and like pick out all the intervals because they have really nice simple melodies a lot of those episcopal hymns and uh, that got me really into like uh, being able to hear musical intervals. And it was very like mathematical. And I still speak in music theory when I'm telling people parts and I get a lot of blank looks when I'm telling like rock and roll guys what parts they're gonna play. Um, but um, I, I like when I was, when I was like a junior in college or something, I worked at the, um, I may be younger than that. I, I worked at the Peggy Guggenheim collection in Venice, Italy and I was a, security guard where they put all the like unpaid kind of scrappers and it gives you you have like three hour shifts of standing in a gallery of paintings that you've been looking at for like you know a month and i would just stand there and like have just get so bored that you'd find yourself sort of literally walking around in circles like a like a bear in the zoo or something like that and uh and like one day i was like 
I'm just gonna try to see if I can write songs in my head right now doing this. And I, I remember the first one I thought of, and I thought of the sort of mathematical melody of the way it was gonna go. And I was like, I think that maybe that's gonna work. And then I like sort of wrote it down on a piece of paper. And then I just stood there and thought of a whole other one. And then I wrote that one down on a piece of paper. And you know, this is over the course of like a couple of weeks. I had like six songs. And when I got back home, I got my four track out and I, I, I tried uh, putting them down. And that was the beginning of my band, The Recoys, which I started. Wow. So when you say you thought of them mathematically initially, does that mean that you were picturing them more than hearing them at, at, at that? I know that's a, not to put too fine a point on, I'm just intrigued. Were you hearing those melodies in your head? Yeah, I, yeah, I was sort of like about being able to hear intervals of like, um, no, I, I like, wow, without sounding like a prick, I have a pretty good ear at hearing notes. And uh, I, I would like, it was all about being able to, you know, this is a sixth or this is a augmented fifth or, or whatever it is and, and put four or five things together and see, imagine what that would sound like once they were all in, in a... Right, but you were imagining the math of it while you were imagining the sound of it, is, is what it sounds like you're saying, which is just fascinating kind of synesth mathematical synesthesia kind yeah, it's, of thing. It, was kind of a, <laughs> it sounds really like sort of a boring way of looking at it, but once you start constructing stuff that way, it was kind of fun. And, but so leading up to taking the, the it was a summer course at Berkeley Music or? I yeah, think, I yeah. did like their summer program. What made, what, brought you there i mean what had been your involvement in music or your interest in music before that, that i had you... just taken I, I took piano lessons when i was little and i you know for years and years and years and then i took guitar for a couple of years and then somebody had gone to the berkeley college some older kid told me about it and so i just applied did you already have a feeling though that that way of looking at music were you into was math a, <laughs> were you into math already or um Actually, you know, it had. It was the only thing I was good at in high school was math. So I hear a lot of artists who have spent any time at Berkeley specifically say that yeah, well, it alienated them immediately right. from that way of looking at songs. Which I it's as, funny because I, I would <laughs> say not to knock the place because I, I learned so much theory, which was really fun to learn, and I'm so glad that I really know it all. But they do beyond the sort of formal classical instruction of that they basically push you into this music that's called fusion which is just sort of the oh, mel no. melting pot of distorted guitar jazz drums and you know whatever else you want to throw at it right. basically everybody's a everybody's soloing everybody's right. it's technique based improv and yeah. then whatever that all and melts that, into basically every other part of it completely turned me off yeah. right but you, but yeah, so so all it took, you extracted this one thing that became a way of look of breaking down, like a way of looking at and building songs. Yeah. And do you still, so now when melodies come to you, is there still an element of that kind of math to you it? Know, no, I, not at all anymore. Once yeah. we started, that was how I did it for years um, until we started The Walkman. And that was when I, that was the first, I had always written everything in my old band and that was the first time I started working with other guys who really were sort of the had always been the primary songwriters in their bands. And, uh, and it was the first time I like, we were doing it right there in the room together and you can't, you don't have time to just mull over something over and over and you start doing it live and, and, uh, you know, they've got a guitar idea and a drum idea and you sing on top of that and things start, you start recording it as fast as you can right there. So you don't just so you don't forget it basically. Um, and that changed that I, 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 that was when I sort of 
put the brakes on. I thought, hold on, this is this analytical, you know, way of like intellectualizing the stuff is just has a limited like emotional impact. Like I just got it. You got to go with like what exists, like what's happening in the room. That's actually really exciting. And Right. And also I'm sure just with those particular musicians, like having that rhythm section in the room, like brings out a character of the, the liveness, the visceral. Definitely. It makes things. you want to just do, you know, get up and do something. And in my case, I had the microphone in my hand. So Matt would be playing some beat like that. And I'd think I want to, I want to sing that, you know, and you just go for it right there. And yeah. Most of the time it doesn't work out, but sometimes it does. Right. But so now that you're returned to a place of where you're doing everything um, on your own, you know, what parts of the song tend to come into focus first? Is it still the kernel? Is it still what it was back then standing in the Guggenheim or whatever? When I, uh, when I started this record, I, I, I pretty much knew that I was going to try to do it on my own. And I knew that my weak spot was going to be getting the uh, drums together. And, and I knew that I wanted to make like a rock and roll record. I didn't want to make, I wanted to make something with like a, a basic band, not even very elaborate band. Like I, I kind of like to keep it kind of stripped down these days. And, uh, and I knew that was, I really just hadn't done it before. I'm not, I can't play the drums. So it's always been something I just can't do. So I, but it was something that I always loved so much about our band and a lot of, you know, so much music I love. And I just felt like that was just where I wanted to be was making rock and roll beats and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I started just practicing that and I just practiced playing the drums and I practiced, uh, doing the programming like Rostam does and, uh, recording them and trying out different things and, and seeing how other people like Bradford Cox does it and how animal collective do it. And, uh, I, I looked up a lot of people who aren't, uh, necessarily like a band like we'd always been and just saw how they put the songs together right and nope. I tried to figure out the combination you know a lot of people will use like a drum machine that'll obviously be a drum machine like Beach House or something like that but then they'll be like a, you know sometimes they want the sound of the real drummer and just deciphering between the two of those and intentionally when you want the when you want the program drums to sound programmed or when you want when you're trying to fake them live or vice versa or when your live drum is just too loose and you're honestly sort of trying to bring it closer to the program so right right and so what what aspect of things that you hadn't been doing before is your favorite new thing to do um put the to be able to put the tracks together with the drum beats and the I, to, to make something that's like a very complete sounding thing completely completely on my own amazingly it has taken me all these years but i I finally feel like I've got something that I'm really, really happy with that I have just created alone in a room. Yeah. And I I just started playing it for people and luckily I got a good reaction, but it was kind of a weird moment because you can think yourself into some weird spots when you're by yourself. Oh yeah, that's the part of doing what you're doing that blows my mind the most is the absence of a body. I mean, the absence of a person in the room to even that person that you trust to be like, is that corny? No, right. it's not corny. Like, uh, you know. Yeah. Cause you never had that from the foundation up and you've been living. I mean, I've been living with some of these songs for like two years and you still have that feeling of like, do I even, you know, do I, do I like that thing I started? Do I like that guitar part that started this whole thing off, you know, in my old apartment when I used to live there. And for some reason, having, having someone you trust validated is a great feeling or explain to you why they, think it could be better or you need to delete that so uh i want to talk a bit about just singing and when you kind of 
found your voice as a singer. Um, and I'm curious when you first started this process of playing music and writing songs, uh, how much, uh, of a part of it, the singing was to you and how important singing, whether singing's become more of an important part of your feeling of expression as you've gotten older. Right. The first thing I did like formal singing was I was in the glee club at St. Albans at my high school with a couple older guys who I kind of, who were kind of like the only other guys in my high school who were kind of like rockers. And I was kind of interested in that at the time. And uh, one of them was uh, Damien Koulash, who's the singer of OK Go, the band. Oh, OK Go. Yeah, he and I were, yeah, and we, were, we would like sit next to each other and sing. And we sang like a lot of choral music, which I actually really liked and also has sort of a mathematical way of looking at it. Um, but then when I started my first band, it was like me, my cousin Harry, who's my cousin Walt from The Walkman, his younger brother, and my friend Hugh. And we were like had our first band practice. And it was like, wait, who's the singer? And then we were like kind of looked at each other and we were like, well, I don't know. And the other two guys were like, well, I'm not going to do it. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll be the singer. And then, and then, uh, I was, I mean, I just, I didn't really sing. We kind of, we couldn't even get through concerts and stuff. We just sort of, I sort of screeched along with the music. And, uh, I guess when I was in like college, I, I started thinking like, if I'm going to, I was the singer in the next, I guess that just became my role. And then, uh, in the next band I started, I, I sort of thought to myself like, I got to If I'm actually gonna be a singer, I gotta actually sing. I, at some point, I gotta. There's gotta be a melody or something. And then I wrote those first songs I had, and they had really sort of thought. Out, they're based on like the thought out, sort of elaborate, kind of ridiculous melodies that I'd come up with. And uh, and so that was the point where I just like let the dog. I just sort of thought. I, it was like the first time I used like my whole voice and really tried to like put it onto this our rock and roll music. Did it invoke a feeling when you yeah, like let really, the dogs out, as you say? Yeah, at first it's really embarrassing. That was the first thing I remember is like this feeling of like, like as if you're like exposing something like this is okay. This is that you're seeing the full, the real, this is what I got right here. Um, and, uh, and then, and then the more as, as you know, every time I play it for like my sister or something, she'd like laugh. And then like my cousin, like, um, that was always a little bit humiliating, but it kind of makes you, sometimes you got to realize that what you just did is absolutely ridiculous. But as time went on, you just sort of got used to the sound of your voice. And then you could like maybe do it a little better or maybe realize what you shouldn't have done. And then you just sort of honed it. And then by the time we got to the Walkman, I, I wanted to, um, I really wanted to, uh, they, they had been in this band, Jonathan Fireder, which was the, I knew since we were little kids. And uh, they didn't really have like a singerly, Stu is a very different kind of singer. And they didn't have like a strong, like melody based songs. And so I thought, well, what, the, what I'm going to bring to this new lineup is going to be just like really strong vocals on key and sung with a lot of power. And that's going to differentiate us immediately from them. And it did. Yeah. And, but I mean, when you say that you felt embarrassed, it must have also felt good. I mean, it, it, you know. It did. I mean, I stuck with it after people laughed at me. Right, right. I did. And our band was awful. And we would drag Hugh's girlfriend and all of her friends to our shows to make sure that some, anybody showed up. And, and you know, I was told many times that it was not great. But we stuck with it. And we, you know, scheduled a show at the Continental in New York and we drove all the way down from Boston and 
did a show there on Easter Sunday at like we had like the twelve fifteen a.m. slot or something like that, and you know things were didn't go great. But this I I did sort of feel like when I sang like I got I this is like I I can do it. I can sing on the key and I can like sort of channel like a little bit of power that I think is like like fun and you know to be able to. I remember my cousin Walt saw us for the first time. He said sort of the same thing. He's like, he'd known me my whole life. And he was like, you know, the first time I saw you sing, like it was at the Connell. He was like, I, I couldn't believe that you were able to like bring like that energy and like turn it on with that kind of force. Like I just was really surprised that you even could or wanted to, which was funny. Did you have, did you have artists at that point that you felt you were sort of emulating or that, I think probably at that moment, um, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. I think that would be the one where I thought I can, where I can uh, see. Uh, before that, I had just wanted to sort of do a ripoff of like Lux Interior or like Iggy Pop or, or just Jonathan Richmond or people that I covered their music. And then I just tried to, then I wrote things that were just. Where it's more. like more talky and subtle. Yeah, maybe. Or like just that. sort of cool, cool. Trying to be a lot cooler than I was. And for some reason, I didn't, I mean, I think Bruce, I think Bruce Springsteen's awesome, but I just didn't see him as, as cool, but I saw him with sort of soul or something. Maybe it was wrong. Or like a, American rock and roll, which is something that I had never con- seen myself uh, as a part of at all. But I, when I, uh, I guess maybe that was like the first person I thought maybe that was a direction that maybe I could take our music. Right. And what was the, what was, I mean, even earlier than that, what was the music you had sort of as a little kid heard around the house? What, what were your parent? what music were your parents into? When you My were- dad was a big Rolling Stones head. So we had all the Rolling Stones. Van Morrison was another one of his favorites. Um, we listened to, my mom played a lot of like Fats Waller and New Orleans jazz and then like Fred and Ginger records were around a lot. Okay. Um, those were like on, she had like a five disc changer in the dining room where we'd listen to, din- where we'd listen to it at dinner and stuff. And there was like five CDs. I could tell you every single lyric off every single two Fred and Ginger CDs, one Fats Waller CD and a couple others. And it's like those songs, when I hear them now, it's like so familiar in my mind. It's just crazy. It is interesting because, you know, it sort of all, almost always proves true that whatever, you know, an artist's music sounds like does have some of whatever their parents were playing. Oh, yeah. Like the echoes in it and like Fats Waller and Fred Astaire soundtrack music makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thinking about the kinds of songs you you tend to write. And were you, did you feel like a music fan from a very early age? Did it have a yeah, because role my, in your life? Yes. My dad uh, is from Detroit and was in a band there in high school and I would uh we had like a tape of it you could listen to and then he was in a band when I was a kid too in DC with just some friends from work and they would play around so we'd oh, go nice. see them play what what did they what kind of stuff did they do they play like uh sort of old, blue uh old blues covers they call it like cowboy blues kind of stuff nice. it's not too much cowboy and I don't really know where, where that came from but they do like kind of funny covers and stuff straight eight pontiac was their sort of hit song okay um, and does he still play they played like three years ago and i went and it was really fun yeah same guys most of them and he's the, he plays harmonica and sings so i'm guessing then when you started your first band 
that it wasn't you weren't like doing it with start you weren't like thinking like i'm gonna start me a rock and roll band and we're gonna go make it to the big time you were just like your well, dad had a band they played gigs yeah. side thing or yeah and my cousin walt and those guys right. the older guys had a band and so it did sort of seem like it was time for me to start my band yeah but you also are very young and so you think you do think there's only one way to go it's like okay, we're going to be the next uh, Beastie Boys because that's what happens. And, you know, you sort of think there's like this inevitability to it at that point in time. <laughs> and the sense that you would be disappointed if it if it doesn't go that Yeah, way. sort of, a little bit. Yeah. There's a lot riding I on. I mean, we were young. We were like 14. So yeah. we didn't really get what, the world yet. Yeah. But that, I mean, but when did it shift for you? I mean, obviously reality sets in and you're, it was, you know, when you were in college and playing music, was there ever a point where you thought like, I'm going to keep doing this no matter what, but I may also need to develop a trade a skill that I can sell for money right. besides this. I guess I, I never thought, yeah, <laughs> I never thought that I would throw in the towel, but there were some dark moments, especially in my, in my old band, the Recoys. I mean, we had, we had never had any success at all. And we tried for a couple of years. Like we were around New York. I mean, I remember playing at like Coney Island high and like, there were like, it was that big room and there was two of our friends showed up and they were both on our guest list. So there are two people. And then halfway through like the set, like one of my friends, Nick was like, Hey, we got to go. And I was like, okay, bye guys. And they left. <laughs> and then we just started like finish a song to an empty room. And then we left and loaded out in the rain. And I remember sitting, waiting for the cab to take us back to the practice space in Williamsburg on St. Mark's place. And it was raining on us and they shut Coney Island high. And I was sitting there thinking like, Oh, I guess this really isn't working out very well now, is it? Who are some of the artists, whether they're, you know, uh, contemporaries of yours or, or even younger artists who you uh, admire lately or who you who you sort of are um, impressed by? I like that band Car Seat Headrest. Yeah. That, that record got me laughing the first time I heard it. I thought the guy was pretty funny. And then I found out they were from Leesburg, Virginia, which is uh, really close to D.C. And my parents actually have a house in Leesburg. And so I... I rooted for them and then i went and saw them and at a festival that we were both playing and i really liked it and his lyrics are pretty funny yeah definitely i don't i have a hard time sometimes because uh, i guess also it's just the age i am where i have to try and separate what's derivative what sounds derivative to me and uh, not holding it against something that i know a bunch of stuff that i just find that, there's so much music in the world now there's just so much that like i find that like if there's something memorable about the song, like the lyrics are funny or like the guitar riff is cool or something that I don't, the, all the other stuff can sort of fall away. And that's what I can just find that I like about it. And then I can, that's, you know, I can just choose to look at it through that lens. Totally. Just zoom yeah, out a little bit. Yeah. It's hard not to be a negative Nelly, especially as you get older, you know, I can be there too. Yeah. But that's why, I mean, like, it's always, it's, it's always good to, uh, to hear that, you know, I think a lot of artists stop listening to as much, you know, as much new music because you right. wanna, don't want to pollute your brain. With... There was a time when I really stopped listening to new music and that was a mistake because it's good to listen to all the new bands and all the stuff. Even it's like, you know, you can read like whatever, a long time, like John Lennon dissing uh, Led Zeppelin because he's like, I know where all that stuff came from. And you listen to, you know, it's a guy that you really admire and he's dissing this other band who's really awesome that he just because he's sort of the senior guy and he knows that they're coming from a blues world where he comes from and he's fluent in that world, but he can't really accept the new way that they've taken it. And, you know, he's wrong because they kicked ass. Wow. That's a real example. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, so many people dislike Zeppelin. It's really weird. But, you know, it's the same kind of thing. You can hear a new band come along and, like, they'll, you know, you think, you hear the song and it's, you, you know, it, in your mind it clicks with something you've exactly heard before and you think, okay, that's, they're just ripping that off or, or I understand why they came in that direction or whatever. And, but sometimes there really is a little trick to it that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, these days, like, I find, like, I listen to so much, stuff i don't even like love but it's just fun to hear like the new ways that people are trying to i don't know put songs together and yeah sounds and stuff yeah i mean i try and again i try and neutralize my impulse to be like music that's made purely on compute judge music that's made purely on computers or something like that right like, you know what like we're what you know right that's I mean, the we're, techno that's yeah the exactly technology. Like, like i kind of open the doors to like synthesizers in my music and like programming in my music and stuff like that and I feel like it, it helped a lot. Like I, I feel like it took it was a big adjustment for me because I really come from a live band world. But once I was able to finally like feel like you could bring life to the recording with those things, there's a big difference. It's actually hard to do because so anybody can just turn on a pre-programmed thing and it's and it just doesn't sound it's not exciting. But you know, like for me, like I I, I try to make it. Um, I try to make it sound. I try to ape a live band with my programming and stuff, right? Because right. that's where I'm from. So I, I do. My stuff sounds like a band's playing it. When it, you know, once you've made it through this process, do you see yourself wanting to record other people's shit in your studio? Which, Actually, yes. Yeah. I, I, that's the thing. I, I I recently realized that I would like to try doing. Right. I would, and I think I would. I, I I think it's something maybe I could get into. I'd have to like find somebody that would want to work with me that I would want to work with. Have you not before produced produced somebody's recording? No, I never have. I feel like you would be really good at it for a variety of reasons, but one is that you're direct. I mean, I think directness, just you know, candor and directness seem like a good qualities in someone who's in that role. I think I would like to try. I think I'd like to try to do it. Yeah. Then you can have weirdos come to your house and step on blow pops. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> they can make a mess. What are you looking at as a short-term timeline, though, on this group of songs? That I'm doing everything I can to finish it by the end of the year. Awesome. Which will not mean it will be released by then, but I really, I think it's realistic. I'm, I'm moving in the right direction right now. I've got a lot. I just, I need, I need a little more. Awesome. I had no idea when I invited you over that there would be I've been keeping it real. I've been keeping my cards close to my chest on this one. I have. I've only played it for my wife, a few songs for her, and uh, one friend. And when you're when you play music for your wife, what is the reaction that you're that what what is the optimum reaction from someone that close to you? Well, it's or funny anyone because that, anyone that close to you. I don't have. It's more of like the absence of a negative. Like I thought I had finished a song last spring. And I was like, I was in the car and I had the mix and I was like, can I play a new song? She's like, oh yeah, sure. Because I never really asked her that. And she was like trying to be supportive. And I played her the song and then afterwards she was like, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I like it. And I could tell that she hated it. <laughs> and that, that was sort of helpful actually because it needed a lot more. It needed to be sort of taken apart. <laughs> and I was kind of, it was disappointing because I thought I was really pumped on it at the time. Three, I like it. Yeah, sort of getting quieter and kind of staring out the window, <laughs> maybe wanting to change the subject. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming by to talk. With yeah, me. my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
well, that brings us nearly to the end of episode 38, otherwise known as season three, episode one of the LSQ podcast. I've been your host, Jenny LSQ. There are episodes in the coming weeks with Bat for Lashes Natasha Khan, and actually the very next one at the end of this month is with Frances Quinlan from the band Hopalong as she gets ready to put out her debut solo album. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already. And whenever you have questions or feedback, you can reach me easily on Twitter and Instagram, at JennyLSQ. Massive thanks again to Hamilton Lighthouser for his time and candor, and thanks so much to you for listening. <laughs>